Hey everyone, it's Pastor Andrew. Welcome to the Tilcom Baptist Church Podcast. I hope that you're having a great day. And I'm just so excited to introduce you to our new series that we're going to be going through on the 7 a.m. statements of Jesus. And um, when you listen to this uh, podcast, you're going to hear me reference a video that we watched before I started preaching yesterday. And that video is on our Facebook, so you can check it out. It is, it's a video of um, the scriptures from John that we'll be going through. But in order to really frame Jesus' 7 I Am statements well, I decided that the best thing that I could do is to help everybody get on the same page as to what Jesus was referencing when he said, I am. Like when he says, I am the bread of life, or when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you know. So um, <clears throat> so I want you to know, like, this story about Moses is not just something that I picked at random. It really does relate to this whole rest of the series that we'll be doing. And, and over the summer, um, we're going to have Pastor Jorge Vargas come preach uh, in our church, and I'm really excited for him to come. I'll be uh, preaching once a month, and we'll have that available for you to listen to as well. And um, just wanted you to know that we love you, and we're so excited for what God is doing in our church, and, and hopefully what he's doing in your life as you have listened along to these podcasts. And I really um, encourage you, if you haven't listened to very many, to go through and listen to whatever you'd like um, because now you have the um, opportunity to just kind of look through almost a, well, about nine months worth of podcasts on our on our channel. So I hope that you have a wonderful day and I look forward to uh, receiving any feedback that you might have by sending it to me at tilcombaptist at gmail.com or by going to our Facebook page and liking it, Tilcom Baptist Church. Or send, come, come send yourself in person to church, um, you know, on a Sunday. 1110 is when we get started. We're located at 8415 Maple Street Southwest, Lakewood, Washington. And we would love to have you. So hope that you have a great day and a great week. God bless. series, this series that we're starting is on Jesus' seven I am statements in the book of John. And um, so in order to, um, to do this well, to talk about these statements, uh, where I wanted, what I wanted to do today is to take us back to Exodus 3, because it will help us to unpack the potency of Jesus' words to his audience when he tells them things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true mind. See, the important thing to note is that whenever Jesus used this phrase, I am, about himself, his audience would be mentally transported back to the story of Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3. Jesus making the claim that he was equal with God. Because as we know and believe, 
He is God. He's God's son. He's fully human, fully divine. And in the Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses. And he reveals himself to Moses and to us to make his presence, power, and purpose known. See, he makes his presence known by this miracle of a burning bush. And, and I don't know if you have ever seen something strange and kind of looked at it for a minute, but Moses, he thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. In all of his time as a shepherd, uh, he had not seen something like this. See, but God used this to get Moses' attention. And, you know, Moses is getting up there in age. He's, uh, you know, somewhere between 70 and 80 at this time. And, uh, and, and up to this point, God had not revealed himself personally to Moses. Um, and it's interesting, though, because he, because God had been orchestrating everything in his life, right? God had been divinely uh, you know, coming and, and making things happen the way that they even happen so he could set Moses up for what he'd been asking to do. So here's what God says to Moses, what, what happens. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames and fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now, here's the interesting thing, is that Moses didn't jump back in fright. He didn't, he wasn't, he didn't need that, that comfort of, hey, don't be afraid, right? And, and I think, you know, this is because Moses was on a journey, right? He's on a journey like all of us are. Um, and, and he had a moment when he encountered God's presence, where he walked into a holy place. He, God tells him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. See, take your sandals off because this place is the place that separates you from the life that you had before this moment. This is something that sets you apart. See, God's holiness, his holy otherness, is what differentiates himself from the gods of Egypt, from any other experience that Moses has had. Because, you know, if you, if you hear some of the mythology around Egyptian gods and other Near Eastern cultures, you'll know that those gods were pretty crafty, pretty deviant, pretty ugly. And here God is in his pure holiness, revealing himself and saying, this is a different place. This is a different mode of operating. I am different. And I think we've all had experiences where we encounter God, where we have this holy ground moment. And for me, it was 
my summer, uh, when I was going into become a freshman in high school, and uh, and God allowed me to have this experience where I went to a summer camp and I helped lead. I was a volunteer counselor and um, and was a leader in training. And when we got there, the director said, "I want you to pray for two things this week. I want you to pray for the kids that are going to come and hear about God's love and hear about the gospel and that they need Jesus." And then secondly, I want you to pray about what God might want you to do with your life in terms of serving him. And so that week, I spent time, just, I loved it so much. It was a, it's a Pleasant Valley Christian camp out of Mineral. And, and, uh, and I remember you know, praying for these kids that we were ministering to, and then praying about what God might want me to do with my life. And after that week, I felt a real confirmation and a real conviction towards the um, fact and the idea that God wanted me to use my life to enter vocational ministry. And I had a lot of great mentors and friends and people along the way who have helped me, um, you know, reaffirm that, that calling and commitment. But the, the reality is that when God calls us in a holy place, in a holy moment, we, we remember that. And it's pivotal, pivotal for us in our obedience and our following to God, in God. Because you see, Moses, you know, he, he wasn't going in any sort of direction before that moment. But God was calling him in a direction. See, sorry if that's a little, a little, little, um, but this is what happened, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, God wanted to let Moses know that he was present in the people's suffering. He saw them. He heard them. And he was going to do something about it. He, this was all part of his plan. He told Abraham in Genesis 15, your people, your descendants are going to be enslaved. And I will bring them out. He said for 400 years, right? I'm going to bring them out. And, and this is the same Abraham who he had promised just three chapters ago in Genesis 12 that he was going to make him a great name. He was going to bless the nations through him. Right? That, that his enemies would be cursed, his, his, the people who reform would be blessed, right? So God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham in bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And I think it's important to stop and reflect for a moment and, and remind ourselves that God is present with us in suffering. And, and I think this last year, 
We've had a lot of personal glimpses of that, hopefully. And we've had a lot of corporate glimpses of that. You know, we there's been people asking God for healing. There's been people asking God um, for justice. There's been people asking God for mercy. And, and God is present in all of it. And it's good to know that because without God being present with us in the hard places that we go, I don't know how we get through. So God is present, but God is also powerful. He isn't just a, he doesn't just, um, you know, create the world and start spinning the clock and go away from it. He is full of power and he is full of, of intention to be about his mission for the world, right? And he does that through using each one of our individual lives. So how had he done that in the life of Moses? See, Moses, he literally escaped child genocide. And his name means to be drawn out. He was drawn out of the dial. And, and he was able to be raised uh, for the first few years of his life by his actual mother because, you know, she was his wet nurse, right? And, and so Moses, had, God had ordained him to be saved from this child genocide. And, and then he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, and he knew he was a, a Hebrew among Egyptians, right? There was, it, was not, it was not difficult for him to see that there was a difference. And, and eventually, in his young adulthood, you know, he, he goes and he sees injustice, and he tries to handle it on his own. Right? And he ends up killing an Egyptian and burying him in the ground. All right? And then the next day, he sees two Israelites, two Hebrews, uh, fighting each other. And he says, hey, you guys shouldn't do that. And what do they say? Why? Are you going to deal with us like you dealt with the Egyptian? So he knew he had to get out of town. And this is why he's in Midian, the middle of nowhere. He is in the middle of nowhere, married to the daughter of the priest of Midian, okay? So, here he is, and verse 11, Moses says to God, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, yeah, verse 15 says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God reveals himself in a powerful way to Moses. And Moses says, but who am I? <laughs> Are you sure you got the right guy down? Who am I? I, I don't understand how I have any consequence in this situation. See, Moses didn't feel qualified to oppose Pharaoh. I mean, 
He didn't feel qualified to oppose one of the most powerful, influential men in the whole world. Imagine that. I, I think it, it sounds like a pretty big, uh, a, a pretty big job. You know, he didn't feel qualified to lead God's people. You know, he didn't know what he was going to say to them necessarily. And and what he did was he forgot the God factor that God was going to go with him. He said, I will be with you. How much of the time do we do the same thing? We feel inadequate. Inadequacy, it's a normal human reaction. But we have to remember that God is with us. I am with you. And, and he tells Moses, you know, this will be the sign. You will worship on this mountain with the people of God. See, the thing is, is that even though we might feel inadequate, our service is sufficient because of God's Spirit empowering us to obey Him. God wants us to obey Him. He will take care of the things that you don't know the details of. You know, I, I remember when I felt like God had called our family into working with Youth for Christ, and Rachel and I had been engaged for two months, and I told her, I said, I think God wants us to join YFC. And you know what she told me? She said, well, Andrew, God didn't tell me that. <laughs> so we prayed, because we were scared. We were, like, you know, younger, and we were like, how is this all going to work out? And you know what, friends? We've been on staff with YFC for almost six years, and God has provided every time that we need something. And, and uh, so now, when people ask, well, how's it gonna happen? I say, well, if it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? And, and that's just the faith and obedience that he asks of us, because he's already put his Holy Spirit inside of you, He's already given you all the gifts that you need. He's already given you the, um, you know, the abilities because it's supernatural. It's what he has done. Because he is the one who accomplishes his work through us. It's a grace that he even allows us to participate in it. And what a wonderful grace it is. Because I'm sure as many of you did testify to God's goodness when you have stepped out to obey him. It's not easy. But you know what? It's a lot better than knowing that you went against what God told you to do. I mean, but God is powerful to equip his servants and help them to equip, help them to fulfill mission he has. And God is also powerful to rescue people. You know, he, he tells Moses, I'm going to rescue you from this physical suffering. I'm going to physically remove you from this bondage in Egypt. Because he sees them. He hears them. And his concern has moved him to action. See, he's going to take them from Egypt this land of 
chaos, this land of scarcity, this land of enslavement, to bring them out to a place where they're going to worship him. They're going to worship God like they never had before. Because you know what? You know what, friends? They were not afforded the Sabbath in Egypt. You know? That, that there is there is something that God is doing. He said, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to bring you to worship. And I'm going to move you to a land of abundance. A land where there is fullness and milk and honey and all these things. And, and God is saying, that's different from the land that you're in. It's not going to be a land of chaos. It's going to be a land of beauty. It's not going to be a land of uh, being a workaholic. It's going to be a land of rest. It's not going to be a land where there's this bondage and enslavement. It's going to be a land of freedom that you can worship God in. And, and so he promised them this, right? We know what happens. We know that they eventually mess it up. But God is using the exodus as a foreshadowing of his ultimate rescue plan. Right? Because if you think about it in your life, there is a point where you were enslaved to sin. There was a point where everything was chaos and, and hopelessness and, and disunity among lots of things going on. And then there was a point to where you received where you received Christ in life, where you said, where God drew you to him, and, and where you gave your trust to him, where you committed your life to Jesus to be your savior. And so it's like that, that crossing from Egypt where there's death into the promised land where there's life, where God promises you eternal life through Jesus and what he did. See, God's not only powerful enough, not, not only powerful to equip his people for mission and to rescue them, but he's powerful because of who he is. Okay? He's powerful because of his great name. And if you catch that question in verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, then what shall I tell them? The Israelites had been in captivity for almost 400 years. You know, the names of the gods of the culture were certainly names that were known fairly well, expressed upon a lot, probably given uh, certain uh, celebrations to. And you know, so when you're in somewhere for 400 years, it's hard. For, for people to not question this kind of, to make this kind of question, what God are you talking about? Because we see all these other false gods around us and, and uh, we don't necessarily, you know, even know what you're talking about. But God says to Moses, these four words, and, and really in Hebrew it's, it's one, but he says, I am who I am. He says, Yahweh. Yahweh. And, and this tells us about God and who he is. It tells us three things. Number one, 
that God exists as one person. See, unlike the Egyptian or Canaanite gods, where there was a God for nearly everything, God is fully sufficient within himself. He's one person. He exists as one person. And of course, Moses and, and Scripture hadn't been revealed you know, the Trinity or anything like that. So we know that. We know that God is one and that and that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God exists as one person. Secondly, that no reality exists behind God. Right? Before time began, God was. Okay? That is the truth of the matter. God was before anything else. God is before anything else. So God is perfectly in yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay, that's kind of hard for our human minds to wrap around. But God is before anything else. And God will be after anything else. When the last minute of time runs out on the clock, God will be in eternity. And if you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, we'll be with him too. How amazing is that? Is that, is that God doesn't need anything, but he still wants you and I to be, to be with him in that time, the time after time. Thirdly, what it tells us is that God does not change. His character doesn't change. His promises don't change. And, and he says in verse 15, you know, he says, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And, and you know, when he's saying this about himself, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he's not just recalling, you know, that there were that they had forefathers who lived a long time ago, right? He's saying, you know what? I am the God of these people, and I'm going to be your God too. Okay? And, and that he is going to work out the, the promises that he made to Abraham in their midst, right? He's going to be working out and showing his continued faithfulness like he showed to Isaac and like he showed to Jacob as the nation of Israel was established through his family. And so we need to remember that God doesn't change. And it's because of that, it's because of his unchangingness and because of his power and because of who he is, that his name alone is sufficient. It doesn't have to be anything. He is powerful enough on his own. See, this links us to what Jesus was saying in these seven I am statements, is that Jesus assumed God's name when he made these seven claims to God. And we'll go through those throughout the next couple months. Trust me, you're not going to be here to go that long, okay? But the third thing is that, as I said earlier, God reveals himself to us to make his presence, power, and purpose known. And and so these last six verses of chapter 3 tell us what God's purpose was. Number one, to assemble the elders. Okay, to assemble the elders of Israel 
And Moses was supposed to go and talk to them and tell them the game plan and say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to tell Pharaoh these things. And you know what? I'm going to prepare you for this, but God already told me that he's going to, that he's going to reject us. He's going to reject the request. And, and so they're going to experience adversity. Moses is the coach for the team to, to understand that there is a long haul for them to go through. They have to persevere. And they got to do it together because these elders likely were people who were influential leaders in all of the 12 tribes. And so, and so God wanted Moses to assemble the elders. And he wanted them to know that, you know, Pharaoh is not going to take very kindly to your request that you let these people go and offer sacrifices. Okay? And, and then, and then uh, he's, the, third, the second thing is that God is going to fulfill his promises to the Israelites to possess the land. See, God ensured their victory over the land of Canaan. And, and he, it wasn't just any land, like I said earlier, it was a land flowing with milk and honey in abundance. And lastly, God was going to make himself known even to the Egyptians. Okay? Make himself known even to the Egyptians in that he says this in verse 19. Uh, he says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. See, he's, God is going to make himself known and that due to Pharaoh's unwillingness and his denial of this request to let God's people go, that God was going to show his power over everything. Okay? You have to understand the plagues were not just, you know, something that were chosen at random. They were chosen to show God's supremacy. Many of them chosen to show God's supremacy over the gods of Egypt. And and there, and and also, I'm assuming this that it get really annoying if you're an Egyptian on one side of the street and you got frogs and bugs and you know darkness and hail impacting you, but on the other side of the street is your Hebrew neighbor and none of that is bothering him, right? No, it didn't exactly go like that. But the Egyptians were the ones that were encountering the judgment, not God's people. Right? So even though. They experienced a lot of hardship in, in all of this. But God is going to use miracles to show himself. And God is not only going to get them out of there, get them out of this terrible situation, he's going to enrich them. You know, it's a little, he, he said, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reparation here. You know, for the 400 years that you've been enslaved, you're going to be getting gold and silver and all these clothing so that... When you get out of town, man, you are going to be better off than you ever were. Um, and, and I'm sure the Egyptians were happy to get the Israelites out of here, right? So, 
Given that we have begun our series about Jesus' seven I am statements by examining this narrative between Moses and God at the burning bush, um, we can be aware that when the audience heard Jesus say, I am, I am the resurrection and the life, that, that he was making claims about his divinity. So we're going to go through each of those statements, and as they relate to his divinity, his claims to be the Son of God, and how they apply to us as Christians, and then how we can share them to make the person and work of Jesus known to those around us who need the hope of the good news. So, we're going to move into a time of communion here in a moment. But I think that um, that as I was reflecting on communion this week, that two of Jesus' I am statements that are helpful for us as we observe communion today. Um, I am the bread of life, and I am the true vine. Isn't it, isn't it beautiful? His body, our bread, his blood, represented by the juice from the vine. Because we know grapes do grow on vines, just so we all know. Okay? Depends on how long you let them sit or figure. But Jesus invites us to remember his sacrifice, that his body was broken for us, that this bread, just like this bread, and his blood was shed for us and poured out just like this juice. And, and I think that we know in our hearts, right, that. Jesus is the only one, the all-sufficient sacrifice that could make the propitiation for our sins. And I just want that to sink into us as we reflect for a moment, and then I'll give instructions regarding the juice and the bread. So we'll take a moment of silence here, and then we'll move out the home. sacrifice. Thank you that you have saved us, that you are working in our lives to show us your presence, to show us your power, and to show us your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See our application after the here. Our scripture leads us to a particular response for how God reveals his presence, power, and purpose in our life. Our collective response um, will be to sing a song of worship about how great our God is. And also, the rocks that you guys filled out last week, that you wrote on last week, are available here for you to take home and to be reminded of God's work in your life, of his faithfulness and 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 lastly, you know, I want to challenge you this week, as you read scripture, because I know you all do, right? As you read scripture, to write down the characteristics about God and the promises that he has made to us. For yourself, right? A benefit to yourself, but also to share with others. Because how amazing it is that we serve such a great God 
think that he would not want us to keep that to himself. So we're going to sing our last song here real quick. Well, real quick, but we get started. And, and, 